You're listening. No. You're listening to the Buns.com Podcast Network. (laughs) (laughs) Buns, buns, buns. Welcome to the Pixels and Ink Podcast, episode 275, brought to you by CG Magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Mior, and joining us today are Brendan Fry. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> Phil Brown. Yay! And joining us for the first time since E3, the illustrious, <laughs> the very tech savvy i don't know i i, I love you cole but I, I can't think of good adjectives cole watson hey. <laughs> so how's everybody doing today on this very very cold wintry canadian weather day cold good so far yeah despite yeah. feeling frigid um i've been having a great week oh that's good it was a good week yeah yeah what was what was particularly good about this week cole uh well after i got over my cold i've just been enjoying all the tech stuff that i've yet to review uh <laughs> including the iphone 10 uh rx vega 56 and uh as well as xenoblade chronicles 2 oh wow so you're gonna have to give us i know you're gonna give us some first impressions of xenoblade a little bit later on but you're definitely gonna have to give us some uh first impressions of uh some of that tech that you've been take that you've been uh, looking at oh for sure all right cool i'm putting you on the spot here i didn't prepare you for that but <laughs> we'll see what your improv skills are like all right, so yesterday was the Game Awards, uh, and uh, did you guys watch? Of course. Yes. No. Nope. No. Nope. No. Nope. Yes. No. Uh, well, uh, what do you guys think of the uh, nominee list? Um, it seems to have a nice, diverse showcase of games. Um, the top categories, though, look a little, a little too familiar. Uh, starting with Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. A great inclusion it is across like tons of them, from Game of the Year all the way to sound design and soundtrack, uh, as well as game direction. Uh, then we have uh, Super Mario Odyssey joining that as well, with the likes of PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds and even Horizon Zero Dawn. There's a, a, as always, there's a, a lot of repeats of the same game for very different categories, right? Like yeah. uh, we see a lot of repeat of Horizon Zero Dawn for pretty much every category. And uh, with Nintendo dominating with uh, Legend of Zelda and Mario Odyssey as well. Yep. So mm-hmm. powerful year for Nintendo. It, yeah, it really was. Like, uh, I, I mean, I can't even argue against it because good on them they it, it those are great games and they did so well so completely understand where that's coming from i'm okay with it yeah <laughs> well we know how yeah. you feel because you really loved odyssey for sure oh god do i ever i'm still playing it are you still is everyone here still playing breath of the wild because i know that one can go on forever i if you want it, it to. within the first week yeah really but okay. I loosely use the term beat because I beat the story. Yeah. But then when I go back and I hear everyone else's stories, it's like, did you go see this village? Did you go see, the, did you do this side quest? And it's just like, I have barely done anything. And yet I beat the game. Weird. Uh, yeah, cool. <laughs> All right. So uh, moving along, there was some interesting news coming out of Steam this week. Um, Steam decided they're no longer going to be accepting Bitcoins as currency for in-game, uh, for 
well, in Steam purchases. And uh, the reason being uh, the tumultuous nature of Bitcoin, uh, how variable it is and whether or not it's going to be worth uh, worth the price that you pay for uh, at various times. So or it's, more. it's hard to keep. Yeah, yeah it's hard to keep consistent costs on that. And they want to make sure that they're being well, they, they say they want to be fair to players who are buying. So what do you guys have to think about say about that? Uh, Bitcoin right now is a weird thing. It it has so much value, but it's controlled by so few people. And unless there's a better control of the market right now, it's such a tumultuous space as as uh, Valve mentions that I don't know if I'd want to be like accepting that as a purchase because you could accept it as a purchase price. Suddenly, the thing you sold yesterday was worth one dollar, one or like one tenth of Bitcoin is now worth. Uh, half that and you've made double your money or it could be completely other way where you sell it one day and it's worth half the money you got so yeah, it, it's, there has to be more consistency in the yeah. market for them to really do that because with market fluctuations yeah. like they're gonna have to change their site daily just yeah to ma- just to match up with it, it, it's it's unreasonable to expect that yeah yeah well i, I mean aside from steam uh are do other just because I didn't get a chance to research this one more clearly, do other gaming platforms no. use this? I mean, there's a lot of illicit sites in the internet that use Bitcoin, mm-hmm. but I don't know if they change their prices all the time. So <laughs> it kind—it of, was like something, something one day, and probably the same thing for like three weeks. So you know, you're not going to get a deal. You'll probably lose money on that. Right now, it's just—it's such a very few people have a large quantity of Bitcoins. There's a few players in the market that are kind of controlling it. Beyond that, it's just a mess. And also, it's so easy. Like, so many Bitcoin like depositories have been like robbed for Bitcoin and all yeah. this other stuff. So it's it's all kind of a mess right now. Cryptocurrency itself is just all a mess right now with yeah. all the kinds of varieties, uh, and no one knows how to react. No one knows where to invest properly, except yeah. in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's being considered right now. We don't know if it's growing or if it's in a bubble. Yeah, right now everyone's thinking it's a bubble because yeah. it's there's no way it went from. Like three hundred dollars five years ago to now, almost twenty thousand, and that's 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 unsustainable growth. Exactly, yeah. especially when no one takes it as a currency. <laughs> it's kind of bizarre. Yeah, well, that's gonna that's gonna cause it to crash and burn pretty quickly. Yeah, very much so. If, just... if you can't get your money out of it again, what's the point? But it's it's just bizarre that they decide to use it in the first place. Uh, they probably thought it was a th- fun thing to do when it was like worth a few hundred bucks. It wasn't that big a deal. Yeah, it was just like pioneering new technology, right? Mm-hmm. Like the the ask the ability, like we could take Bitcoin tomorrow. Like it's an easy thing to add to your site because you just you connect one of the Bitcoin like kind of depositories and they kind of transfer the money one to the other. Yeah. Problem is, you don't know what it's worth the next day, and it could lose all its value tomorrow if <sighs> if the people can't figure, or if any of the big players in the market decide to start pulling out. The, the the value of the entire currency could drop the day after. Like it's controlled by so few people that are not governments that it's just not easy to maintain. Exactly. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that. Uh, so let's move on to some movie news. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that came out this week. Uh, Phil, you want to kick us off? You know I do. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, all right. So first up. Um, in our ongoing semi-consistent uh, coverage of all the uh, 
uh, sex scandals and current uh, sex and predatory scandals in Hollywood. We've got right. a good one, um, oh, which no. is that uh, this week, uh, Brian Singer, who has um, uh, a, a fairly bad reputation for his treatment of young boys and his, uh, you know, relationship with Kevin Spacey bears that out. And anyhow, who he was shooting of all things, a biopic about Freddie Mercury. Okay. And there were stories of him like being very erratic and not showing up to the set. And on Monday he was promptly fired. And shortly thereafter, his production company, which has had offices on the 20th century Fox lot, for years and produced like amongst other things, all the X-Men movies um, uh, was also uh, shuttered and everyone was uh, kicked out of Fox and forced to leave. So wow. um, an expose on him has not leaked yet, but it very much sounds like one is about to. And uh, yeah. So wow. there's another one. Yeah. You know, it's getting to the point where you see a name trending on Twitter and you're like, what do they do now? What do they do now? Yeah. I know. Last year, every time I saw a name trending on Twitter, I thought they were dead. Yeah. And now, <laughs> and and now yeah. I think they're all perverts. I don't know which is worse. I. It's, they're it's both just, bad. Yeah. Bad. <laughs> but wow. Okay. All right. There's another one. Let's uh, hope for a positive trend in 2018. Yeah. Let's just hope people learn to stop uh, being gross. Stop being gross. It's really all mm. it is. Just, mm. uh, I mean, impulse that, control people. I That's mean, a lot of the, a lot of the things that have come out, I'm not surprised by the people that affected. I'm like, oh yeah, I I see that. Yeah. I'm still surprised. Nothing mm. from Michael Bay yet, to be honest. Yeah, he must be really, uh, really lawyered up right now. Because I I I've heard so many like little rumors about Michael Bay, and now nothing's coming out about this. I'm like, really? He's the one I thought would happen first. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's only a matter of time. Um, I, I can't help but notice that for the first time in a decade, there are no Transformers movies currently in production. Oh, that's weird. Um, yeah, which seems like an interesting coincidence. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I know it's weird that he hasn't gotten it yet. Um, my my guess is part of it is that number one, I'd imagine he has a lot of lawyers at his disposal. Oh yeah, and is in significant damage control right now. Number two. Um, he, uh, the, like part of the reason why Brett Ratner and Brian Singer got taken down is that they had, uh, production companies that had made, that had partnered up with major studios right. and were co-financing, uh, like superhero blockbusters for children and, um, like franchises that the studios have no interest in being shamed or being, right. you know, removed from, uh, the marketplace. Mm-hmm. So I think that was a big part of it. I think with Michael Bay, the transformer things kind of played itself out and paramount doesn't really know what to do with that anyway. Mm. And fortunately, and he just doesn't have like a substantial interest in any particular studio. So that could be part of it. But at the same time, who knows? There also have not, he also has been remarkably absent. In fact, let's see if he's even still on Twitter because he used to be. So, (laughs) and I followed him because it was always hilarious and Oh, he is. Well, that's fascinating. Yeah, um, but, but he has not been active since September. So there you go. Okay, so yeah. So I mean, I'm sure, yeah, things are not going well in Michael Bay land. And uh, we'll see. What, I think, uh, yeah, so, you know, we'll see that soon. Um, I mean, like, you know, and we're getting into gross, salacious gossip here, but there was like, 
uh, stories going around a few years ago that he and Brett Ratner had a like shared Google Docs account where they would list all the actresses that they'd slept with and compare notes. So, yeah. So, you know, since one went down, you'd assume the other will be soon to follow. But uh, Brian Stinger did all the the good X-Men movies and did he do the Kingsman movies? uh, No, that's Matthew Vaughn. He did the usual suspects. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah, which is the where the Kevin Spacey connection comes in, oh. and Superman Returns, which was horrible. That was bad. Um, okay, never mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, and so, yeah. Anyway, he's uh, he's on the run. We'll hear some more horrible things about him shortly. Surely. Um, anyway, uh, more news. So this was a fun and very weird and unexpected story that came up this week, which is that apparently uh, Quentin Tarantino pitched a Star Trek movie to J.J. Abrams and they went for it and they've currently hired because uh, Quentin is about to start work on his own movie uh, about uh, something related to the Charlie Manson murders, although he's been like careful to make it stated that that's only part of a larger tapestry of a story Mm -hmm. that he's telling. Um, Because he's busy with that, they've hired, they're currently hiring teams of writers to work on whatever concept it is that he's come up with. And uh, there is a possibility that he will direct it um, if he's happy with the results. Um, So it's very weird, very exciting. It's not, um, it it did come out of left field, but I didn't find it hugely surprising in that um, he did an episode of The Nerdist a couple of years ago. Uh, the Nerdist podcast a couple of years ago when uh, The Hateful Eight came out. And at one point they were talking about Star Trek and he was talking about how that would be like currently the one franchise that he would be interested in getting into. And then he had a few episodes he really adored and had some like ideas related to those. Um, he in particular wanted to, he, he liked what they'd done with the uh, like dual timeline structure of the new Star Trek movies and wanted to play some, and wanted to play some sort of, head game movie where um they have to like where the, there's some sort of overlap between the two timelines of the original series and the new one something like that i don't know anywho <laughs> yeah, I can do anywho that. yeah anywho he's doing it and it's pretty exciting um and i also just read today shortly before we started recording the podcast that um the screener from the revenant's been hired and apparently the plan is for this to be an R-rated Star Trek movie, which I suppose makes sense with it being Quentin Tarantino, yeah. but it's very odd with it being Star Trek. Well, you know what? It's it's already taking like some crazy leaps with him to be the driving force behind this movie anyway. Mm-hmm. So like uh, an R-rating wouldn't be that much further than a Quentin Tarantino-directed Star Trek. So that's- Yeah, I feel like if he's involved, that's just inevitable. Exactly. So, I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but anyway, like it's something that I really hope ha- really hope happens. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, no matter what, whatever his concept is, they end up going with whether he ends up being the one that ultimately directs it or has any hand in the screenplay or not. Um, it wouldn't be the first time that he's kind of had a inspirational role in a project like that. After all, he spent. Uh, much of the early 2000s talking about how much he wanted to do a James Bond movie and specifically Casino Royale, which had never been done properly. And he wanted to do it in a more dark and gritty fashion without humor or any of the gags or excesses of the Bond series. And he was in no way involved with the James with Casino Royale. But the movie is very much the movie he described in many, many, many ways. So um, and also not coincidentally, one of the best Bond movies. So um, it'd be nice that he'd at least be, you know, officially credited this time in reinventing a franchise. Yeah, Yeah, that that makes sense. But uh, anyway, so yeah, that was the big nerdy news of the week. Very exciting stuff. Um, There's also another 
kind of less exciting and vaguely disturbing um, uh, story related to Quentin Tarantino, which is that uh, this new this new movie that he's working on, which is now with Sony, um, that he that Charlie Manson's going to be involved in some capacity. uh, Margot Robbie's going to play Sharon Tate. And uh, he says it's just a story set in 1969, sort of about that milieu and Charlie Manson's part of it. Anywho, the reason I mention all that is to say that they've set a release date for it. And it is on the 50th anniversary of Sharon Tate's murder, which I don't know how I feel about that. Um, And I also find it hard to believe it's a coincidence. I can't imagine they were just like, yeah, we'll go with that date. And then like, didn't realize that it was related to material. It's directly in the movie. Um, (laughs) So it seems like a very, very odd choice. Um, Again, I don't know what the movie is. Perhaps like uh, she comes off in a very, very strong light that this would be some sort of, uh, you know, um, way of honoring her memory um it feels like a cheap exploitative tactic which i suppose is not you know outside the realm of quentin tarantino's uh exploitation art movies but still just a weird choice so anyway we're noting that uh quentin's been up to some weirdness lately um but hey at least not the type of weirdness that brian singer's been up to that's a big plus all right (laughs) next up um here's uh something that i'm uh, not thrilled about, um, which is that uh, we talked a few months ago about uh, the fact that uh, they're cu- currently trying to make, I forget what studio is doing it, but one of the studios is trying to make a blockbuster detective Pikachu movie. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, today, uh, Ryan Reynolds is signed on to star in it. It's unclear if he will play Pikachu or who he will play, but it does suggest that this is very much happening and there will be a lot of money spent on it. And I'm very ha- unhappy about that. How do oh, you guys you. feel? The big question is, uh, did Danny DeVito get signed on yet? Right, 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 right. Uh, that's unclear. Okay. Perhaps he's going to turn it down. <laughs> it, might be, it might be too big for it, really. I don't know. You know what? Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to separate from, like, Pikachu from Deadpool now. Because mm-hmm. I, I that that's the voice in my head. I, I don't even know if I want to hear Pikachu talk, so... Yeah, hopefully that's not what he got cast for. Maybe he's like a Pokemon person. A master. Master, thank you. Thank you. It has been a long day at the office today, guys. But um yeah, no, uh I I don't know. I, I want to hear more before I like get all up in arms about it. I just the whole con movie concept to begin with is already kinda weird enough for me. So I, I'm really kind of shrugging my shoulders and okay, Ryan Reynolds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm indifferent yeah. towards it. It I, could be yeah. fine. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm really hoping it doesn't happen, but, you know. Why are you so upset, though? Like, it, it just, it's you just, seem we, very disappointed by we this. Just, we don't need this. We don't. No. no one needs this. But there's so many things we don't need that are just happening anyway. I know, but this in particular. This, it needs to stop. Um, yeah, I really does. Yeah, I. Another Dragon Ball evolution. That's what we need. Another yeah, exactly. He's gonna deliver. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay, next up. Um uh speaking of things we don't need. <laughs> yeah, yeah, more stuff we don't need. Uh Disney <laughs> is now uh moving forward in a live action uh, Little Mermaid movie. Um it's going to direct, be directed mm-hmm. by Rob Marshall, who made Chicago and is a hack. So um <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm uh yeah, I uh 
I mean, like, I guess they're just going to remake all the classic animated Disney movies in live action now. I suppose that's happening. Um, I guess The oh. Little Mermaid, it may only make sense. Um, especially since Beauty and the Beast uh, is, I think, the eighth highest grossing film of all time now. So uh, Disney definitely have his, okay. has plenty of financial incentive to do this. Um, yeah. I wish they wouldn't do The Little Mermaid. I think that's kind of fine as it is. But uh, it's happening. So I it's... Dumb. Something to look forward to. Very dumb. Yeah. All right. Another thing that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, More stuff. Okay. More stuff we don't need. Um, (laughs) No, uh, no, no, no. I'm reading this while you're reading this. And yes, we absolutely need this. Why do you say we don't need this? We don't need this. We don't need this. So uh, Netflix has signed Kurt Russell to play Santa Claus and a Christmas movie that will come out next year about a group of kids who want to uh, uh, shoot a video of Santa to prove that he's real. And they find him, and when they're in the midst of doing it, they cause the sleigh to crash, and then have to help Kurt Russell, Santa Claus, save Christmas. Um, okay. Uh, I mean, that sounds really I'm stupid. in. I'm in. I, I want to see, like, uh, uh, Snake Plissken, though, Kurt Russell. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, if it's going to be awesome. a Saint, if it's going to be a Snake Plissken Santa Claus, that would be great. It's not going to be, though. We, we, can, we can just put that to bed right now. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. It doesn't matter. He's he's that character for every character who plays. He'll be that for Santa. It'll be perfect. I... Just trust me on this one. Mm, no, no. I won't allow this. <laughs> I won't allow this. There's one actor that can play Santa Claus. His name is Tim Allen. And until he signs on to this, I have one. <laughs> nothing yeah, I'm okay not seeing Tim Allen in anything else. He's got beard. Yeah. <laughs> He peaked. Yeah, yeah he, he did. Peaked in 1994. <laughs> he did. He did. All right. And finally, one last thing we don't need before we can call this depressing news cycle a day. And we're that is that. Your sec- oh, we're going to change your news segment to like just more things in Hollywood that we don't need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, we do need that Quentin Tarantino Star Trek movie. So there was one silver lining in all this. But this one okay, is. But the latest one is uh, David Goyer who uh, wrote the Blade movies, uh, helped, uh, was involved in the screenplays that uh, Christopher Nolan did for the Dark Knight trilogy and uh, directed Blade Trinity, which was horrible. Um, he uh, has now signed on to write and direct a He-Man movie because well, we're at that point one. now where it's... You guys, there's going to be another one. We People already decide. had one good one. It's fine. <sighs> we have the best movie on Earth already in He-Man. Do we ever need another He-Man movie? <laughs> we peak. There's no going back from that amazing, amazing... Just remake that one shot for shot. Yeah. And we're fine. They, they, already, they already did remake the 80s He-Man movie. It's the first Thor movie. It is literally the same story. He's <laughs> oh. not actually wrong other than the weird, stupid flying things. It is. Yeah. It is. Off from these hot takes, it is. It's the same story. If you break it down, the basic beats of the first Thor are the Masters of the Universe movie. We just have to accept it as a culture. Yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, here's where we're at right now, guys. Mm. A lot of remakes. A lot of a lot of remakes. Mm. A lot of dumb. Quentin Tarantino directing Star Trek. So. Mm. Yep. A lot of stupid. Yeah. Mm. Cool. Maybe we've peaked in the society. Speaking uh, we peaked a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, well, this is a good time to uh, take a little break, uh, take this all in, and uh, hear a little bit of something from our sponsors, so we'll be right back. Man, I wish I could get new comics every month, but I'm broke and oddly always $5 short. Lame. Wait, five bucks short, you say? Well, I've got something special for you. What the hell was that? 
It's me, the discount ghost of Coupons Pass. Are you scared? What the f- Use the code CGMEG in all caps, all one word, to get $5 off your next Comic Bento subscription. So wait, if I use the code CGMEG, all in caps, all one word, I get $5 off my next Comic Bento? Yes, use the code CGMEG in all caps, all one word, and get $5 off your next Comic Bento. A whole $5, eh? Now that's scary. The Pixels and Ink podcast is brought to you by Buns, your city network. Buns connects you to the people in your neighborhood to help you find the things you need to fuel your real life. Swap things you already have to get items you need. You can also find jobs that pay the bills, homes for rent, advice, and a place to talk about your city. Buns is available online at buns.com and on your phones via the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. And we are back. Thank you very much to our sponsors. And now, Phil, tell us about your movies. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess, first of all, um, a question I should have asked you during the break, but now we're just going to go right ahead and do it in the podcast itself. Uh, Do you want me to to talk about last week's movie as well as this week's? Since I didn't do it last week? Yeah, what are we going to do? Absolutely. Okay, cool. Then we're good. All right, so the first movie then is last week's movie which as a complete surprise to anyone listening to this right now, we're going to talk about as well. Um, and that is uh, The Disaster Artist, which is the James Franco's uh, biopic of uh, Tommy Wiseau, um, the creator of The Room, uh, which is widely considered to be the worst movie ever made, slash funniest. It, it's not the worst. It's just really bad. It's, I've seen far worse. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like, it's at least it's entertaining because of its ineptitude, but I don't know if I've ever seen okay. anything so inept. But... That's neither here nor there. Uh, the, 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 um, so anyway, um, if you know the room, uh, you'll know it's a very bizarre, uh, erotic. Uh, I don't even describe it. I guess erotic drama with tinges of thrillers and children's sure. entertainment. Um, and yeah, it's by Tommy Wiseau, this mysterious man who uh, paid six million dollars to finance the film himself. No one knows where he came from. No one knows where the money came from. Uh, no one knows really anything about him. Um, but, uh, this, yeah, this movie that he made, he forced into existence, bought a billboard in Los Angeles that lasted for years. Gradually people started going, it became a cult, the DVD started selling, and it's become, uh, beloved amongst people who love so bad it's good entertainment. And, uh, James Franco's biopic, um, and an amusing fact about it was, uh, so anyway, the biopic is based on the book called The Disaster Artist, which was written by the co-star of The Room, uh, for whom uh, Tommy Wiseau wrote the movie. Um, they, uh, uh, James Franco, in a particularly uh, James Franco move, actually read The Disaster Artist before he'd ever seen The Room and became so fascinated by the story and this guy that he uh, got Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg to commission a script and put this together. He ended up directing the entire movie in character as Tommy Wiseau. Um, so, which is fascinating because, uh, Franco's directed a number of movies at this point. Uh, almost none of them have been released. The ones that have been released are not particularly good. Um, but this one is actually quite good and it's fascinating because he, finally figured out how to direct a decent movie while doing it in character as the worst director of all time, which I'm assuming is an in-joke that he found very amusing. And I certainly do as well. (laughs) Um, So basically he's refashioned the story of the making the room as kind of a bromance between uh, this strange, mysterious Tommy Wiseau figure and this wannabe actor, Greg, uh, 
I don't Sestero, Sestero um, who's uh, yeah. played by uh, Dave Franco, James's brother, just to make things um, incre- even more weird. So the story involved they they uh, Greg sees Tommy uh, performing in a Greg is a wannabe actor who's not particularly good at acting. He sees Tommy performing in his acting class, and he's incredibly an incredible free spirit, if not a particularly talented or sane person. And they form a <laughs> friendship over a dream of becoming actors and filmmakers. They moved to Los Angeles together because Tommy Wiseau has a secret apartment there that he just wasn't using, but now they'd have decided to use. And uh, they both, uh, Greg, because he's generically attractive, uh, gets an agent, gets on ca- gets on casting lists, but can't land anything because he's not particularly good. Tommy, on the other hand, just uh, terrifies and upsets everyone that he meets and uh, <laughs> doesn't have a chance in hell. So eventually they decide to make a movie together. And it ends up being the room. All the legends that have spread about the making of the room appear from the fact that he uh, decided, insisted on shooting in 35 millimeter and HD at the same time for reasons that made sense to no one other than him. Um, he <laughs> built a private bathroom on the studio, even though there were actual bathrooms within the studio they were shooting. Um, all sorts of craziness. Uh, it's all there. It's all very, very funny. But what's and, and what's what I think makes the disaster artist work is that um, he, he, James Franco actually found a way to make Tommy Wiseau this, you know, crazy cult fringe figure um, into something resembling a very empathetic and, and interesting uh, human being, just like a guy who desperately wanted to be an artist and who made something, you know, completely, um, you know, off the wall and insane and not particularly good, but did end up actually creating a personal statement about some mysterious pain in his past that people respond to, even if it's not in the ways that he ever intended it. And so it's a very kind of, it's a very sweet story. Uh, James Franco is fantastic. He does, I mean, you know, anyone that's seen the room can do a bad Tommy Wiseau impression. He does a good one, but also actually finds a way to create something resembling a human being within all the ticks and tricks and secrets we've learned about this bizarre character over the years. Uh, the supporting cast is basically every uh, comedian in Hollywood. Um, I think every, and, and and then on top of that, people like Sharon Stone and Judd Apatow, who doesn't act. Um, I think, my guess is that A, there's a big love for this movie uh, within the industry. And B, I think anytime anyone found out that they would not only be in a movie about the room, but they would be being directed by James Franco pretending to be Tommy Wiseau, that they just had to be there to see what the heck that was going to be like, regardless of how it turned out. And it ended up turning out very well. I think um, I, I have no idea how it would play for someone that hasn't seen the room, given that I was long ago indoctrinated into the cult before I saw it. I found it very satisfying as a fan. I did the first time I saw it um, because the movie ends with a really hilarious montage of them uh, playing the recreations of the room they did themselves with the original scenes from the room simultaneously. And a guy that I was passing by on the screen afterwards turned to his friend in disbelief and was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That, that's all real. This is a real thing. This is a true story. <laughs> I talked to him about it and I was like, and, and so I was like, yeah, 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 you didn't know. And he's like, Oh my God, I can't wait to find out. And I was like, so did it worked for you without it. And he was like, yeah, it was hilarious. So I guess it will work. I feel like it's, it's more appropriate for fans um Mm -hmm. i like the closest point of comparison with this is obviously tim burton's uh ed wood i don't think it's quite as good a film as ed wood um just simply because ed wood is actually like a beyond being a kind of like you know movie nerd treat is a like genuinely kind of quite touching and moving 
depiction of, you know, people getting together and becoming artists and, and, and celebrating the like passion and spirit of making a movie. The disaster artist is just too weird and slapsticky to quite have that emotional resonance that it strives mm-hmm. for. And also, uh, you know, Tim Burton had the, the what, what, like when, uh, when he was creating Ed Wood, he had all these like great black and white Gothic old Hollywood images to work with versus um, in the disaster artist, they're trying to replicate the look of the room, which is one of the worst looking movies ever made. So it's not quite as cinematic, but um, I do think it's a, just a really weird, uh, really fun, fascinating little movie that's come out. Um, I think it will have a cult. I think it will make the room last longer than it, deserves to and uh <laughs> i think uh yeah and it, it's very much worth checking out um and i really hope it does well if only because i've got a feeling that if nothing else james franco will probably end up nominated for an academy award for this and if he does he's already said that he will bring tommy Wiseau to the oscars as a date and we just that's just a moment that so needs weird. to happen um it really really does tommy Wiseau needs to go to the oscars and not quite understand why he's there um, that's a, that's a really important thing <laughs> for all of us to experience. So, um, yeah, really love that. And, uh, and yeah. And then the other movie this week is the shape of water, which, which is interesting because normally I end up doing, uh, <laughs> for CGM and on our podcast, I normally during award season end up talking about all the like blockbusters and genre movies coming out, all the, uh, coming out around all the Oscar bait movies this week. I'm actually talking about two Oscar bait movies that are that are genre movies and fantastic, and that's actually really exciting. So, I, I hope this is the beginning of a trend and not the strange anomaly that it will be. And I'll be right back to talking about the horrible Chris Pratt Jennifer Lawrence uh, Christmas movie that comes out next year. But anywho, uh, this time that's not a real thing. I was talking about Passengers. All right, so um, <laughs> I, I don't want to break your heart uh, there, Lisa. So anyway, The Shape of no, Water. No, no, I'm, I'm okay. Okay, I'm okay. <laughs> good, 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 good. So The Shape of Water is the new uh, Guillermo del Toro movie. Um, he, of course, uh, is sort of up until this point split his career between a kind of one for them, one for me. He'll make these very yeah. esoteric, interesting uh, Spanish art horror movies like uh, The Devil's Backbone of Pan's Labyrinth. And then in Hollywood, he'll make uh, equally esoteric, but far more accessible, big uh, cartoonish blockbusters like uh, Blade 2 or the Hellboy series or Pacific Rim. Um, what's really exciting about The Shape of Water is it's sort of the first time he's made one of those personal movies that would typically be in Spanish in North America. Uh, I guess the gothic uh, horror movie Crimson Peak they did a few years ago was close, but it was at least a horror movie, so I understood. Shape of Water is technically a monster movie, and it does have creepy moments, but it is mostly a, uh, a, 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 a romance um, and be a, a very, very moving um, exploration of what it's like to be a sort of oppressed outsider within society. So it's, it's very timely um, in its own way, even though, it, and, it, and it's also something that can be described as uh, uh, in the tradition of movies like Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. This is basically Amelie meets the creature from the Black Lagoon, which is a, oh. a movie I didn't even realize I wanted, but as soon as I saw it, I do. And the um, so uh, Sally Hawkins stars as a mute uh, janitor. Um, it's set in some sort of, in like a, a vaguely fairy tale mythical version of the cold early Cold War early War sixties. Uh, she lives above mm-hmm. a movie theater. She as roommates uh, with a um, closeted gay artist played by Richard Jenkins. Um, her only friends in the world are Richard Jenkins and uh, one of her co-workers uh, as a janitor at the, in this government 
facility played by Octavia Spencer. She lives a very, um, you know, she, all of them live lives sort of on the fringes where they're not really accepted by society, um, but sort of Mm -hmm. find their own uh, love and happiness together. Uh, In, into this government facility comes two monsters. uh, One of which is a giant gill man, like the creature from the black lagoon that is currently being studied at the, at the facility. The other is Michael Shannon as the government agent uh, looming over slash torturing the Gill Man, and um, uh, he and and he he it, it's not easy for an actor to be more frightening than a uh, uh, a pussycat eating uh, sea monster, but Michael Shannon mm. does indeed pull it off, um, and uh, he he sort of he gradually becomes the monster in the movie versus the actual Gill Man. Uh, ends up uh, falling in love with Sally Hawkins and he, her and her friends break the Gilman out of the government facility and he sort of, you know, helps them all see what makes them special. Um, so it's it's very much a fairy, it's very much a, a gothic fairy tale in the tradition of Guillermo del Toro's other movies. It's very moving. It's beautifully put together. It, uh, it you know, sort of combines... Uh, gothic horror with cold war paranoia and whimsical french uh romance movies um which shouldn't work but really does it um has very creepy and very disturbing and very thrilling and exciting moments but it is primarily a very uh whimsical and romantic film and that works quite well there's even one point where the movie uh, quite unexpectedly turns into a musical number. And even though that shouldn't fit, it does in this strange mishmash of tones and ideas that Del Toro has put together. It's very powerful. It's beautifully acted by everyone. Sally Hawkins is um, absolutely incredible in that like she has no dialogue whatsoever, but there's never a moment where you're not fully aware of what's going on in her head, her in her mind and her heart, uh, which is not easy. Michael Shannon gives possibly his most Michael Shannon performance, which is very much a good thing. He actually makes uh, peeing at a urinal an incredibly invasive and horrifying act, which should not be possible. Um, The effects of the monster are incredible. Uh, Doug Jones, who is a very lanky uh, man who's played all of Del Toro's most famous monsters because his just physicality is so interesting to build effects on. He did the Pale Man in Pants Labyrinth and uh, the... um, the Gilman and Hellboy, which this character, which the Gilman here is, is very much influenced by. And so it, it works as a character study. It works as an action movie. It works as a romance. It works as a grand metaphor for what it's like to be someone who's cast away by society and how to, you know, find your own inner strength and love within that. And it's just a really, really beautiful, wonderful, special little movie that I hope catches on i feel like it will inevitably get a cult audience i hope it does well enough to get attention this year because i do think it is something really wonderful i can't believe it exists um also for any of our listeners in toronto it was shot in toronto and that's very very clear um the i've seen it twice now the last time i watched it i went to the lakeview diner beforehand forgetting that it actually is in the movie so i highly recommend that (laughs) if you're going to uh if you're going to go see it in toronto i recommend going to lakeview diner first if you want to feel very very strange in the theater afterwards um and uh yeah it's just a it's easily one of my favorite movies of the year i think it might even be guillermo toro's best movie um wow and i can't recommend it enough you speak very highly of it. i film. do it's great nice yeah 
And it's it's playing. Is it playing nationwide? I right believe now? the it's opening up in sort of major cities right now, uh, rolling out everywhere else between uh, the over the holidays and into the new year. They're doing an Oscar push for it, which is crazy because it's so friggin' bizarre. I I want to see I want to see a genre Oscars. We haven't seen one of those. It'd be ever. it'd be really really nice. I mean, Lord of the Rings. Yeah yeah yeah. Lord of the Lord of the Rings. Was cool. Well, Lord of the Rings got it, but nothing like this and. Um, it's no. uh it's well deserved it's it's really really good i can't recommend it enough so yeah and that's that uh, yeah after awesome. cool. uh, uh avalanche of horrible movie news about the future of the industry uh right now this weekend it's doing well <laughs> so we got that going for us do we, do we want to want to quickly touch on the fact that uh, the fox disney deal has yeah sure uh yeah in, in during the break uh in the podcast we learned that uh disney has acquired fox for what did you say it was 60 billion dollars Oh my valuation yeah, of 60 which billion. um is uh is really is really interesting i i wrote about it back when the rumors first surfaced and when the rumors surfaced uh yeah. both disney and fox's representative said oh the deal's dead but i knew that wasn't true yeah. because the last time this happened was during the sony hacks and we found out that disney was negotiating to get the rights for spider-man back from sony and they subsequently claimed it wasn't happening mm-hmm. and then surprise surprise a few months later it was well it happened again um so disney bought fox which there are it, it's both both exciting and terrifying. Number one is there aren't many studios left. It's weird that Disney has another. Um, the, but and they've they've also clearly done this um, for for multiple reasons. Number one, they're planning on launching their own streaming platform. They need a lot of content to fill it. Now they have everything Fox has ever done to be a part of it. Number two, uh, they of course own Marvel. And uh, the only uh, the X Men universe was previously unrelated to the larger MCU because Fox had it. Well, now they got it, and the X Men are now, and so now the entire Marvel comic book universe exists in one shared cinematic space, which is insane. That's I think it's uh, which is insane. Yeah. They also did it because um, when they purchased Star Wars. They had the rights to absolutely everything except releasing the original Star Wars because Fox still clung to those. They now have that, which means that there's a very, very good chance that we will finally get the non-special edition original theatrical versions of the original Star Wars trilogy remastered in in HD HD. and presumably 4K, which is very, very exciting and something that uh, nerds have been crying about crying themselves to sleep over for decades now. So that's good news for everyone. Um, and now would this mean I'm, what I am curious about though, will this mean the 20th century Fox brand is dead or will they kind of keep it around as kind of a sub brand? They'd like, Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, that's that. very much a concern is that, does that mean that Fox goes away? Um, and then, uh, and then on, a, on a, a slightly smaller note on top of that is that Fox with their uh, Marvel properties have over the last couple of years um, been willing to do sort of R-rated darker takes that are very much non-Disney, mm-hmm. Logan and Deadpool obviously being the preeminent examples of that. And my feeling is that that that, that that's absolutely not the case, that I, I don't think that Disney intends to absorb these and then suddenly we won't see the last movies. I think Fox will still continue to be a brand like you said like touchstone that disney will be able to finance and release movies that they would feel wouldn't fit the disney brand um like they for example uh the sixth sense is a disney movie um yeah prestige is is a disney movie 
these were just done through Touchstone because they didn't want to touch it. In fact, even the original Nightmare Before Christmas, they released through Touchstone because they were too scared to make it a Disney title, even though Disney proper had made it. So I think it, it's going to be, I think Fox mm-hmm. is going to continue to exist as a sort of prestige and our and, and a prestige studio and an R-rated studio for stuff that they don't want to brand with the Disney plan for fear of it either A, appearing watered down or B, alienating families who view everything as Disney as something they should watch with their children right away. So I, I think it, it could actually be a beneficial thing. Like Fox, um, while obviously they still crank out X-Men movies and um, they actually did Shape of Water, uh, they have been struggling for a few years. They don't make as many movies as they used to. So I think this actually could be good for Fox. I think that they'll continue to do stuff. But again, I have absolutely idea. I have absolutely no idea how this will go, how much of the Fox brand will c- continue. I would hope Disney's plan is to, they want to have the titles for their streaming service. They want to absorb uh, the Marvels and Star Wars properties they didn't own and then will essentially just allow Fox to operate as its own studio funded by Disney. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see what happens with it. I it it's like it is a weird kind of like, you know, making a small world even smaller situation, but at the same time it's um, I think actually could could help and could lead to some interesting work being produced um, by Fox, but Again, we'll see. And I also think that it is absolutely no coincidence that this happened today and three days ago. Uh, Fox fired Brian Singer off a movie he was working on and cut all times with his production. No, it's, it seems it seems very yeah. timed. Seems very directly related. Um, so there you go. Hey, extra movie news. Cool. Oh, there you go. <laughs> extra movie news. Well, that's cool. Well, thanks for all that, Phil. Um, moving on, uh, let's talk to Quinn about... Uh, Cole. Sorry, Cole. Oh, jeez. Yowza. You know what? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Brendan will edit that out, right? Nope. No. It's, it's, in, there. it's in there forever now. Oh, quality content, Lisa. Creating uh, drama in the office. We, we, as you can see, we all very much miss Brendan yeah, yeah. this week. Well, I, I call, I call, <laughs> anyway, I kept referring to Jordan as Justin the last time he was on the podcast. So we've since trust him for this. <laughs> that was amazing. Though. And, and Brian was Stephanie when That's he right. came on. I mean, let's let's just all get right. other new names. That's right. yeah. be great. We, but we do love having Cole here because Cole is going to give us some interesting uh, first impressions uh, about some of the tech you're talking. So let's start with the iPhone one, uh, the iPhone X. Okay, the iPhone X. Very expensive product, <laughs> retailing for $1,000 US uh, standard over here in Canada. Obviously, we're seeing a massive markup around $350. Yeah, I think it's $350 here. Uh, $1,350. Yeah, not great. Um, but the product itself is, it feels like a precursor to something greater. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we see things like uh, Face ID technology, wow. when we go into the specs of the device, it has a lot of great uh features and potential there but when you even go to the design of the device and it's an all glass case right it doesn't seem smart yeah when it's so sensitive to breaking and when every part of this you want to keep pristine especially for such a high price point Mm -hmm. yeah but uh iphone the the ease of use of its of its interface as well as the, the quality of uh, their service, it, it's unmatched in the industry for a reason. And it's because it runs so smoothly. It's because it reacts so so uh, well to the user. Yeah, yeah. And it's easy to acclimate to. 
Mm-hmm. But uh, I would still say my favorite phone of this year is the Google Pixel 2 XL. Really? Okay. Really? Yeah. I like that despite being a larger phone and you think that it should be unwieldy, um, the camera is amazing mm-hmm. for the price as well as they've implemented uh, a different kind of texture to the body. That way it's easy to grip, even with one hand. Mm. And I've never had a fear of slipping with that with that device. Uh, moving on to uh, AMD's retur- return to uh, the high-end competitive market, we have uh, Vega 56, uh, aimed to tackle NVIDIA's uh, GTX 1070, but could even hit uh, 1080 if put into the right hands. A lot of people uh, right now are experimenting with flashing the BIOS mm-hmm. Vega 64 onto it. Uh, they're also messing with overclocking and even undervolting the card to achieve these performance metrics of at least 15% uh, gain, uh, gains wow, okay. in games, as well as uh, massive productivity benchmarks compared to uh, the GTX cards. Wow, okay. Yeah. So it's a fantastic GPU. The problem is pricing structure right now, uh, everywhere, it's not just Canada affected by this, America as well, is that the cards are marked up considerably because AMD and retailers are having an all-out war. Uh, AMD wanted the cards to launch originally for $500 and then $600, but right now they're sitting at $650 to $700, and that's only if retailers want to push the individual cards. Ouch. Because otherwise, you're getting saddled with a free sync monitor. You're getting a couple games out of it as well, but then you're talking about a nine hundred to one thousand dollar package. That's a that's a that's a pricey to package to jump yeah. into. Um, and then we'll go on to uh, Xenoblade Chronicles Two, which yeah. is well a little bit beyond our tech, but yeah. Uh, so Derek yeah. Derek's doing the review of that one. Yeah. So we already have. So Derek's already had some first impressions up on the site, but yeah. let's let's hear a different take from it. You, what do you think about that? Mine actually match pretty well with Derek's from his initial impressions anyway. I know that his later ones right now, he's kind of more siding into a negative slope with it. But I'm 40 hours in right now, which is... Uh, oh, not very much, apparently. probably about halfway through. Okay, sure. <laughs> uh, but I'm having a lot of fun with the experience. Uh, its combat system is really unique. It's in- It has a lot of depth to it, but... Uh, the smart thing that it does is that it eases the player into it. It mm-hmm. starts with, okay, this is how you do attacks, then introduces elements, introduces specials, introduces combat states, introduces chains. Uh, but it's a really in-depth RPG that I think uh, if you're looking for what a, a great example of a AAA RPG can be on Switch, yeah, uh, this is going to be a great title for you to, for you to pick up. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks so much, Cole. And I think that's a good place to end off. What do you guys think? I think it's a good place for me. Yeah. Well, that sounds uh, great. I, I, I think so, too. I think it's great. So thanks, everyone, for listening. And if you like what you hear or you want to know more about the things we talked about, you can visit us at cgmagonline.com. You can like and subscribe to our podcasts on Bun Pod, Bun's Podcast Network, I, Apple iTunes, or any of your other favorite podcast apps. You can follow us on Facebook at CG Magazine or on Instagram at CG Mag Online and on Twitter at CG Mag Online. Uh, Brendan, what's your Twitter? Bfry26. Cole, what's your Twitters? Kaiser underscore Watson. And Phil? At that Phil Brown. 
And I'm at Lisa Awesome. Uh, you can catch past episodes of uh, Pixels and Ink on YouTube, so subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. Thanks again to Bond's Podcast Network and Comic Bento for sponsoring our podcast. And from everyone here at CG Magazine, have a great day.